There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Um, we're all remote and I'm just picturing Greg doing his, his fist pumping in the background, even though <laughs> I, can't, I can't see him right now. Greg Smith is joining us uh, this week as he did last week. Greg, thank you for um, taking time out of your day to pull up receipts of people bashing on the Lakers months ago to join the podcast and talk about something that is not um, an NBA, an, an, an impending NBA championship. Hey, uh, no problem. I appreciate you having me back. I forgot what I did to annoy you, annoy you last week, um, but I'm happy that you invited me back after getting over that. But yes, I did take time out of my busy schedule of either saving receipts or putting people on blast. Um, and it, I'm, I'm looking so forward to this so much. Wow. Um, also this week, we have Jay Foreman. Somebody, somebody smart once said, uh, just surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and things will go okay. So that's what I've done this week. Um, Jay, thank you for coming on the podcast. You guys have, you and Greg have, have something new and exciting uh, that you probably want to talk about. You, you should probably talk about. Jay, how are you? First and foremost, thank you for coming on. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good, man. I appreciate uh, the invite. And, uh, you know, it's always enjoyable. You guys make you know, I guess this media thing easy. So, um, you know, from my perspective, uh, in easy in the sense of it's not forced, it's just kind of all natural. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. You know, Greg and I's podcast is kind of like we've been doing them for well over a year offline talking for sometimes, you know, as long as an hour uh, about different, you know, type of things that are going on. Obviously with Huskers is the main thing because we both reside in Lincoln, but um, you know, sports in general, you know, on the whole landscape and where things could go both locally and nationally and stuff. So it is good to kind of put uh, that to uh, fruition here. And, uh, you know, we're excited for things to come. So there are like four or five Hale Varsity podcast offerings now that I'm going to have to try to remember the name of all of them every week so that I can plug them all. Uh, Sasha, who's producing for us today, who's I think by herself in Omaha, maybe, or, or she's got producer Pat with her, but Aaron and Sasha have the mind your own podcast, um, which drops on Wednesday, right? Sasha. Yes. Every Wednesday. Okay. Listen to that. Subscribe to that. If you don't already leave them a five-star review, Greg and Jay have their new podcast. What's the title of that one guys? Uh, straight up breakdown podcast. And as I say, at the end of each show, uh, rate us, review us, subscribe, uh, leave us a five-star review. If you leave us only four, I'm inclined to think you're a hater. <laughs> like, I like how you said at the end of every show and you've recorded two so far. <laughs> yeah, but we record, well, yes, technically. Yeah. We've recorded two, but we did a super secret, like underground mixtape one as well. Like Jay said, we essentially do the show like on a weekly basis over the phone anyway. So it feels like we're doing it all the time. So yeah. So, but I do say it at the end of every show and I will continue saying that. Is this super secret one gonna, gonna drop at any point? Is this going to be like a like a um, a reward for people leaving you five star reviews. Like if you hit a hundred five star reviews, you're going to drop the super secret pod. Maybe, maybe we should do something like that because I'm sure people would still like even like over a month after the fact like to hear us kind of going off about the Big Ten because we recorded it. Was it Jay right after they announced to cancel the season? Maybe. Yeah, it was like it was like uh, a week or two afterwards, and so. It was definitely raw and, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uncut, you know, and uh, and so uh, you know, I, it was at the point where you know everybody was somewhat, you know, bashing, you know, Kevin Warren, but I mean, it was warranted, but uh, there was no, 
you know, light at the end of the tunnel. It was, you know, he made the, the second announcement. We're not revisiting. And then that was it. And that was radio silence. So we uh, definitely got on the, you know, the podcast and, and let him have it a little bit. Okay. Now I, I think this one definitely needs to get dropped. And and this podcast comes out every Tuesday, correct? Correct. Okay. We also have the more to it podcast with, with Jay Moore. And that comes out on Mondays. Uh, so lots of, of hail varsity offerings including the radio show. Um, so subscribe to everything. Leave a five-star review for everything. It really helps. Subscribe to this podcast if you don't already. Leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Um, we would really appreciate it right now. It, it helps a lot. So I have you two on today, Greg and Jay, um, first to plug your podcast. So if there's anything else that you want to say about it, here's the space to do so. Oh, put me on the spot. I, I just would, I'm excited. I just like, I don't echo what Jay said. Um, I, I think that people will really enjoy kind of our unique take and spin and flavor on all of the goings on uh, in the sports world. Like it, even through the first couple ones, I feel like we've had a good balance of what we've wanted of, you know, we talk about sports we talk about all different uh, sports. Um, the Huskers are included in there. Um, but are not necessarily the main focus, but we also get into kind of some of the wacky uh, things that are happening as well. We have a lot of fun over there. Yeah. I mean, the second that, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the good thing that we do is, uh, you know, we kind of, I try to, you know, myself and Greg, this is, I think why the, the partnership is good and it's probably like, uh, you know, refreshing or hopefully it's refreshing to, you know, people that, you know, listen and continue to grow our, our following is that uh, I, we try to remove ourselves emotionally from the program, but then also don't be one of those uh, media heads that you always try to throw daggers, try to look at both sides of the coin per se. Uh, and then obviously, you know, talk about different, different, uh, you know, sports going on, you know, both collegially and, and professionally. Uh, I know I, we watch a lot of sports. We talk about different things that go on, obviously in particular, the NBA is going on right now. Um, I know on my Twitter, I had the Michael Irvin uh, thing that when he was trying to play offensive line pinned as my, you know, pinned tweet. Uh, the one from Stephen A. Smith about the Clippers losing to the Nuggets. My, it, it's probably going to rear his head as being the new pin uh, because I've watched that 167 times and I'm going to probably hit 300 by this time next week. Um, I'm, you know, people don't know I'm huge. Uh, I, lo- I, lo- I love hockey uh, and I love uh uh, European soccer. So, uh, you know, you know, hockey just had to draft and everything like that, but European soccer is, uh, uh, is going on right now. So it's not just football all the time. Obviously it's, it's good to have football back, but, uh, we try to expand our horizons, uh, in, in every sport as much as possible. Okay. Well, well, I have a question for you, Jay, before we get to Nebraska stuff. But the, the other reason I have you guys on today is because we are three weeks uh, from the start of Nebraska season. I think, I think three Saturdays left, uh, before Nebraska football. And so um, this week and next week, we're going to be doing some previews this week. It's the defense next week. It'll be the offense. Um, I have the two of you on, we're going to run through the defensive line first. Then we're going to talk about the linebackers and we're going to talk about the secondary um, before, before we get to that though, Jay, I, I have a question. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to ask a smart football person, a question that has been bugging me for a long time. Why the hell can OU not play defense? Uh, well, <laughs> well, you know, a lot of teams in the Big 12 don't play defense. And uh, it's hard for teams like Oklahoma to play good defense um, because of the way they play offense. And if you're not physical in the way you go about your business and practice, you can't go out there against a, a team like Kansas State or Iowa State and play well. And it, and it lessens your athletic advantage. Uh, just because of physicality will wear those guys down. But then also they have a lot more confidence that when they can control the line of scrimmage, uh, they can, you know, win the game. And when you start punching holes in, in the middle of your defense via the run game, it opens up timing, passing, it opens up uh, play action, and then now you're in a free-for-all. Um, so Oklahoma, I don't think, is ever – when you have an offensive-minded coach, and this is not – you know, people are like, oh, he's talking about, you know, Scott. I'm not because Scott – played against a good defense or a great defense in, in, in uh, college and he knows the importance of it. But when you have a guy that's solely focused on offense and quarterback play and putting up yards and numbers without trying to win in the four minute, I call it four minute drill. 
and it's actually six now, the way that college football is going. Um, it's hard to get to know what good defense is because he's never really been around it. You know what I'm saying? Scott's been around it. He's, he had to live through it. He, you know, had to practice it. So he knows what a good defense looks like and feels like. Oklahoma really doesn't and never has, it, you know, under Lincoln Riley, even when he was assistant coach. And you look at teams like Oklahoma State and Baylor, when they have tons of offensive talent, they don't have any defensive uh, numbers or players that uh, are, are factors. And so um, when you have a new quarterback and then not an established quarterback, I think he had pretty much almost three Heisman winners at quarterback. Uh, then you have a, a, a freshman quarterback come in, and Rattler is obviously a highly recruited kid or was a highly recruited kid. Those are the mistakes that, uh, you know, that are going to happen, and the playbook isn't as expanded. You know, you lose, like, you know, C.D. Lamb and, and stuff like that. You know, obviously a top uh, player being drafted in the NFL, uh, it makes it even even harder. And the offensive line isn't as good as it used to be. A lot of those guys are playing in the NFL. So th there's a lot of things working against the Oklahoma Sooners uh, but in, in particular, the defense is something that hasn't been taken seriously. I know they said it, and I know that supposedly they recruited it to it, but they don't teach it. And just because guys are big and they're physical in high school doesn't mean that they're going to come and get in a Power 5 conference and be able to survive against, you know, essentially grown men and guys that are used to going into games and playing physical. Oklahoma is just not – ready for a dogfight. If you look when they played Oklahoma with, or, or, or excuse me, when Oklahoma played Alabama with Kyler Murray, it was 28, nothing. And they had, they, I know they came back and Kyler Murray started putting up yards, but it wasn't even close. It wasn't even a, a close game. And that's just Oklahoma. Uh, that's their ugly spot. That's their kryptonite. And so until they decide that they want to change it, uh, it won't change. And they're going to have to change their offensive philosophy, but I don't know if Lincoln Riley's willing to do that. I think I saw a tweet from Danny Cannell, maybe, that said Oklahoma's just not a physical program. Um, so we've got that. You talked a little bit about line of scrimmage, uh, winning in the trenches. That's a perfect segue for us into starting to talk about Nebraska's defense because, like I said, we're going to start with the defensive line. Um, and for years now, Nebraska hasn't been good enough in the trenches. Uh, 102nd last year nationally and yards per carry against they were 99th in opportunity rate uh and 66th in sack rate and then that number uh got worse when it was uh passing downs um so nebraska hasn't been able to consistently stop the run enough and it hasn't been able to consistently generate a pass rush um how much of this guys falls on the defensive line given the scheme that Chenander plays, this, this attacking 3-4, how much of this is on outside linebackers? Let's just let's, – let's start here. Does the, uh, how much does the defensive line have to improve both in, from a, a run-stopping standpoint and from a pass-rushing standpoint for Nebraska to be better this season? Or is it not necessarily entirely on the defensive line and, and the linebackers have to play a, a part? Like, how, how, like, like what's the – What's the percent credit, if you will, that falls with the defensive line? Oh, oh that's tough. Uh, I think the defensive line played better last year than they got credit for. Uh, obviously, you look at the sack numbers just by the Davis twins and Big Daniels in the middle. That's that's if it's not one of the if it's it's one of the top easily top ten threesome guys in the, in the nation, and they did well against the run. I think. If I had to weigh it, if you if you look at just the front seven, right, between the D-line and linebackers as a whole, I think it's 60% on the linebackers, 40% on the D-line. Okay. Um, and the reason why I know that it's supposed to be an attacking scheme, and, it, and it, of that 60%, you know, if you're grading out of 100% of that 60%, I think 70% of that with the, is at the old line, outside linebacker position play. They haven't had any production out there. None. Nobody, they got guys that look good, but they haven't had anybody that actually, you know, really, uh, I mean, this is look at it. Yeah. Ty, you know, Tyron Ferguson had a tremendous opportunity to start, you know, he was doing everything and anything besides thinking about football, selling real estate, energy drinks, and who knows what else. Right. And then he's necessarily, he's, you know, he quits on the team. You got Taylor, uh, Canner, he's or Tanner. Um, he, he's a guy that looks like the part, you know, Caleb Tanner and, a highly, you know, four-star recruit, borderline five-star recruit out of Georgia. You know, you see one great play, then you see some 
you know, so-so plays and then he's, you know, missing in action. Uh, Jojo Doman, I think, is a guy that's been, you know, really, really productive, uh, but he's limited just by his body type. And so then after that, you're kind of nobody's there. And so what they need to do um, is be more technically sound and be more of a don't look for the outside linebackers to be, uh, you know, Lawrence Taylor. Look for them to be opportunistic, but then be very, very sound. So if you want to, like, do a comparison, Nebraska going to have to start off with outside linebackers that would be kind of like if you're a professional football watcher, um, kind of like a New England Patriots type of deal. You know what I mean? Like a very steady, make the plays, play hard, and then you're going to have to get the guys that are going to come in that are superior athletes that are able to continue along those lines and then accentuate it. I think the up the middle, that would be a fine. Um, they got enough experience at the linebacker level with Will Honus and obviously Caleb Tanner. Um, and, you know, the guys that, that are going to come in, you know, as, as backup or maybe challenge one of those guys for the starting position. Uh, I think they have depth and speed there. I think outside linebackers where they're hurting, they can't afford injuries, and they need guys to step up. So that is just – you're almost playing – I wouldn't say like Russian roulette, but you're really, really hoping for things that generally don't w- happen in, a, in this kind of shortened season or, uh, you know, a tough season where you, you need guys to really not only step up one step, but three or four steps and not, uh, you know, get knick-knack injuries. And I'm not even talking about season-ending injuries, injuries that might keep you out for a week or two because you're in a shortened season with only eight games, nine with the crossover, uh, quasi, you know, bowl game or mini bowl game. Um, and, that's you know, that's not a lot of games if you miss two or three weeks of a, you know, rolled ankle or kind of a tweaked hamstring. You know, it, it's interesting um, because I I would probably put it at about the same 60-40 overall linebackers versus defensive line. But the thing that I'm kind of most interested to see when you talk about the defensive line being better against the run is whether or not having different body types or the body types that this staff or this type of defense would typically recruit um, out there playing, if that will help them. Right. Um, Because there's a reason why they recruit those guys that are a little bit longer athletes um, to be able to kind of hold off blocks and to be able to, in theory, control the line of scrimmage um, by having that extra length. So will that then either help those defensive linemen then be able to get more penetration and really or hold up in their gaps even to then allow the linebackers to run free? Will it kind of will it help, as Colin Miller kind of talked about yesterday, that the defense is a little bit more comfortable now and that they understand? understand kind of their assignments and where they need to fill and who's coming to help them and all of that. Like, I I think there's a lot that kind of goes into it. And I I agree with Jay to the point of, you know, it's not, I don't know that it's fair to expect Nebraska, especially at the outside linebacker spot to make this like huge leap to where they're just dynamic and disruptive. Um, But if you can get them playing like fundamentally sound football to where they're not beating themselves, that will go a long way to looking better against the run as well. Because a lot of that stuff is fundamentals and not filling proper gaps. Okay. This was a wonderful um, table setter. I'm really glad that you guys went, this direction with it because so I remember talking to Mo Berry before last season and just talking to him about um, what the, what the benefit, what the potential benefit could be of having a guy like Darian Daniels in the middle of the defense. And he talked a lot about when they were playing in 2018, because they didn't have that huge physical presence at nose tackle teams were climbing offensive linemen right to the linebackers and, and completely taking them out of the play and Nebraska was just getting run over that way and not insert Darian Daniels into that equation and insert improved, bigger, stronger uh, Davis twins. And that wasn't necessarily the case to the, it it wasn't necessarily the case in 2019 to the degree that it was in 2018. So now all three of those guys are gone. You have to replace all three of your starters on the defensive line, which is, which is, tough to do. Um, I, I, I wonder if, if people are, are maybe glossing over that a bit more than they should um, in talking about the defensive line this off season. But we talked to Tony Tuioti on Tuesday um, and, and he said that he's, he's working with a six or seven man rotation right now that he's comfortable with. And he named Ben Stilley, who's going to be in his last, or I guess maybe his last year, depending on what he decides. Um, he named Damian Daniels, Darian's younger brother, who seems 
um, to have, have put an emphasis on conditioning this offseason. He named DeAndre Thomas, who's been around for a while. He's a defensive end guy uh, that's still kind of looking to make his mark. They've got Jordan Riley, who they brought in from the junior college ranks, who Tuioti says is up to 340 pounds, which is absurd. Um, the Huskers online roster listed him at 290 when he got here. He's six six guy. He's long, Greg, to your point. Um, they've got Ty Robinson, who everybody's really, really excited about. I'm sure we'll talk about him. Um, Casey Rogers was another guy that was named. So I'm going to leave this intentionally vague. Um, it, it can be up to you based on what you think is, is, is the most important role for a defensive lineman in this scheme. But um, Jay, I'll start with you on the defensive line in particular, Who's the most important player for Nebraska to have success this season? Oh, uh, it would be Damian Daniels because he um, he sets the tone from a physicality standpoint. He'll own if he can play well. If you watch his brother play, uh, his brother in the in the last six games of the season became not only a good player but he he started to dominate. I mean, his best game obviously, which I think helped him. You know, obviously go to the combine and obviously you know be out there in San Francisco is he dominated that Wisconsin game uh, from the, you know, from the very, and Wisconsin had a pretty decent offensive line and then he continued to go, going on from there. So in a three, four, and this is from experience of playing in it and obviously watching it, you need a nose guard uh, or, you know, a nose tackle that's effective. Not only can he hold point uh, against single blocks and double teams, uh, but he also penetrates the line of scrimmage and, and creates a new line of scrimmage for them. What that does is, if he can take up two blocks, now you have essentially, you know, one lineman that's uncovered to block two linebackers. So that'll let the inside linebackers be able to flow in the run game. It actually clears up the passing lanes and the ability to uh, diagnose passing plays um, for the guys at the second level, and it makes everything clear. Now, um, also what has to happen if, if they – which will happen – I think in the beginning of the season for Nebraska is a, the teams are going to come out and they're going to try to single block a lot of our defense alignment because we don't have any kind of named guys, right? We have a lot of guys that didn't start last year. Actually, in particular, nobody started last year. So there, so teams are going to get off the bus feeling like they can block our defense alignment one-on-one. So it's a, it's going to be a hard thing for our inside linebackers because they're going to be taking on a lot of guards. Um, but it's going to be a good thing for a defense line. It's going to allow them to make more plays. And then conversely, uh, that will, you know, kind of flip itself uh, to where they're going to have to be able to, you know, hold point against some double teams. And it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, um, like Greg said, how these bigger body types work, because I think that obviously the Davis twins probably weren't the ideal body type for this staff. I'm not a big body type guy, uh, not a vain person by no means. And I think that if you're a good football player, obviously as the Davis twins, I think were, they, they're productive in any system, but you know, when you're talking about, you know, Rogers and Ty Robinson, you're talking about some big, strong human beings that when they played last year, they did not stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, then throw in the veterans. It, it's, I think it's, it's slowly, but surely and quietly shaping into uh, an asset of the team, let alone defense here in a very short period of time. Yeah, it, it's really interesting that the mix of guys that they have on that defensive line and why, what leads uh, Tony Tioti to be able to say he feels comfortable at this point, even with six or seven guys. Um, it, it's pretty interesting of how they got there, I think, rather quickly. Um, but I agree with, with Jay that I think Damian Daniels is the guy that kind of will stir the drink for Nebraska's defensive line Um, in part, because I think that if he can really, especially at the beginning of the season where teams will single team him, if he can be disruptive, that will create a massive trickle down effect for the rest of that defense. And then on the flip side, if you get to the point to where teams have to feel like they have to double team him, then okay, the uh, the defensive end should be like okay, it's time for us to eat. The inside linebackers, um, Lahonis and Miller should say okay, we we got some freer lanes to be able to go make plays as well. So I think it all starts with him. Um, but then I would also throw in the caveat that they're going to need. I think one of the uh, one of the defensive ends, I think, has to be very good. Like he can't just be okay out there so whether or not it's Stilly or Ty Robinson Casey Rogers um, DeAndre Thomas like someone in that group 
needs to take a, a leap forward to where they are a player that starts to command some attention from opposing offensive coordinators. Because right now, you like that mix of guys, but someone's going to have to step forward to say, to be like, okay, you've got to actually pay attention to me going into a game week in and week out. The, the two obvious storylines with the defensive line would be Nebraska's got to be better stopping the run and Nebraska's got to replace three starters on the defensive line. Like those are the two overarching, like if you, if you see Nebraska in the big noon slot on Fox on a Saturday, that's probably what they're going to be talking about earlier in the game with the defensive line. Greg, we'll start with you on this one. What is a storyline that you are following that is not one of those two obvious ones? Man. It, well, it, it's going well. I don't want to go here early, but I'm, I'm going to. Um, what happens with Ty Robinson um, is the thing to me, um, because whether or not they're, you know, like they said yesterday, kind of splitting time at defensive end and defensive tackle, whether or not he's going to stay at defensive end or probably like spend 80% of his snaps out there, um, that's a guy that they obviously he's like at least put himself in position to really get out there. And in a lot of cases, I know it was already running with the number one defense. Um, and I think that that's a great sign. Like if he, if you go out there game one and he's one of your starters at defensive end, um, I think that's a great sign for his development and what he's been able to do um, because he was that level of recruit where you would think that he would be able to come in and make a big impact early um, but to me, that that's a huge storyline because it's a big wild card because it raises the ceiling of what this defensive line can do. Same question for you, Jay. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think it's Ty Robinson, and then that really that the other one is is Keen Green. You know, when he came in, you know, I saw him in his first practice, and if you talk about a guy legit three hundred pounds and he looks the part, he got big, strong legs. I would say big, big old caboose on him. Uh, and could really, really run, you know, sprints. Um, I think he's going to be a story if he could ever, you know, obviously I think he's in better condition. I think that was one of the things that Shenander, if you go back and hear Shenander talk about him, what type of condition was he in or can stay in is a big deal for him. Obviously making the, the leap from Juco is, is it's, it's a hard leap for anybody. Defensive line might be a little bit harder, especially going into a 3-4, which is like a double whammy. Uh, but I think him – you know, along with Ty Robinson, you, you could almost have like a Batman and Robinson. Ty Robinson, I mean, he's a big man. I mean, he's, he ain't no like fake 6'6". Six, six. Homeboy's a legit 6'6", 315, and look like he could be, you know, 330 if he wanted to. Then you got, uh, you know, Keem Green, who's not short by any means, you know, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, uh, a little bit more of a three technique. And so if you got a, a kind of a power tackle and then kind of a, like a, a shoot-the-gap tackle or somebody like that that can develop into that, that gives your defense more options. That gives your defense the ability to push the pocket, and then you got another guy that can collapse the pocket. So when you know, as much as we're talking about a three-four, you got to think how these guys project to nickel and dime defense, and if they run like a little peso or whatever three-man type of fronts, how they can be effective uh, doing that as well. Because you need you can't have two big guys out there that are only power rushers. You need a big you need one guy that's a kind of a power rusher, push the pocket, kind of just you know like an Dominican Sue type, and then you would like an Aaron Donald type in a, in a real world. You know, obviously barring the, the the size difference to be able to you know create his own uh, you know sacks and pressures uh, by being able to be one on one blocks. And so, um, if there's somebody potential wise, you know, we're talking about just potential. Uh, It'd be Keem Green. He's been here longer than anybody that's, you know, like a Jordan Riley or anybody like that. And, and, and it came in with just as much hype. And it's, it's the opportunity for him, uh, if he can ever get a hold of it, to really, uh, you know, flourish. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Let's move back and talk a little bit more extensively about the linebackers. Um, I, I was going to ask area that needs improvement year over year first, but it, it kind of sounds like just from, from what you guys have already discussed – getting something from an outside linebacker, getting an outside linebacker that's maybe like an all big 10 caliber guy seems to be like the most pressing need. Is that, is that accurate to say? Yes. Oh yeah. 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 I think you, you need an all big 10 guy production, right? Being all big 10 generally has to do with 
how good your team is. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. You, you go out there and you lay an egg and you go like two and eight, end up being three and six. You could be, you know, Dick Buckus out there and you're not going to be, you're going to be maybe honorable mention, right? Just because the sports information director is going to blow up the email to get you on something. So we need somebody that's going to be consistent or we need both guys to be consistent, productive, uh, and then continue to get better over throughout the season. So, you know, you're playing eight games, so you, you got to have every two game checkpoint with the, with these guys. Right. So it's, it's, it's a inside linebacker. I would say, and I'm not going to speak for Greg. I feel a little bit more comfortable with those guys outside linebacker. It's, it's a huge task. I know I talked about it earlier, but it's huge for these guys uh, to, you know, it's a, it's a big hill that they have to climb, but it, you know, the great thing about it is a ton of opportunity and it is a make or break year for like a KO Tanner. It really is. And then like, you got a Garrett Nelson that needs to add a little bit more. Uh, I equate him. If you ever watched Rocky three, you know, when Rocky three went out there to train with Apollo Creed and he threw him in the pool and got to get you to be able to dance a little bit, you know, Garrett Nelson needs to get a lot more of that into his game, less heavy footed, uh, we know he plays hard. We know he's strong as an ox. Now we got to get you to be able to be a little bit more fleet of foot. Uh, but the opportunity is there because nobody else stepped up. And that's the same thing um, with Caleb Tanner. Uh, because just in the short season's time, Joe Dodoma is going to be gone. And then we're going to be having the same question or same concerns maybe next year. Uh, who can play opposite if one guy actually steps up? So, um, you know, it's going to, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Depth in the inside guys, you know, I think they got some decent experience. I think Will Honus played a little bit better at the end of the season uh, as he got comfortable. Um, I think Colin Miller, uh, you know, he had maybe one or two plateaus, but I think, you know, he was pretty consistent and in, in, in an ascending player, I like to call him, uh, throughout the year. Then you throw in, you know, Reimers, uh, Heinrich, you know, kind of, you know, he's got the injury bug again this year. Um and then you think of some of the guys that got in, you know, coming in as freshmen, you know, you got to be, you know, excited about what they can do or what they potentially can do. Because when you think of somebody, you know, that they you always like to have, you know, somebody that looks a little bit different or his tape looks a little bit different uh, than what the, we've seen. Right. So when you think of Clements coming from, you know, the California Juco, he's, you know, six two two twenty. when you watch his Juco tape, even though it is Juco tape, his closing speed looks different than the guys that they have on the roster. When you see him being able to come out of his breaks and his footwork and how quick his feet are and his ability to diagnose plays. And again, I know it's Juco, but what I watched from a linebacker perspective and from just studying tape and obviously used to play it, I'm looking at his closing speed, his ability to diagnose plays and his ability to make plays when they're there. Now, granted it is the huddle and you're not putting any plays on there that you get ran over uh, you know, out there, but the plays that he's making and the ability that he's showing is bringing another added, I, I like to call it spice to the inside linebacker room uh, that should happen. It should help them immediately. Uh, obviously injury, you know, injuries aside on, on third down, especially as far as blitz packages and also be able to cover in the short area, the middle of the field, which has destroyed Nebraska uh, over time, and when you think of some big losses last year or, or gut-riching losses, uh, Purdue game not a, with the inability to cover a tight end. Uh, Ohio State was a free-for-all. Uh, Minnesota's tight ends, you know, put in some work against us. Uh, then obviously, you know, we're playing Penn State this year where it seems like they always have a draftable tight end, and there's no need to say that Iowa or Wisconsin doesn't have that as well. Yeah, and I think that it, the to me, I share all of those concerns about the outside linebacker spot. I think that that's pretty well covered. I think that the inside linebacker um, is the is the strength, obviously, of the two linebacker, two different linebacker positions. But I'm interested to see if you talked about uh, Bach Clements and his closing speed and his ability to diagnose plays in his JUCO film. That's what we saw from Will Honus on his JUCO film as well. We have not seen that. Like as consistently here at Nebraska from him, even though he is, he played better towards the end of last year than I think people realize. And I thought that he was getting better. I thought that Colin Miller also was a player that was getting better. So if you can start to see that from both of those guys where they're reading and reacting faster, which would then allow them to play faster. And, it, and it's not even, it always, cause it's like when you play against Wisconsin and it feels like they're inside linebackers that you never heard of. Like they get these recruits that are like three-star guys and they develop them and they do a good job with that. It seems like 
they're it, they're faster than they actually are because they're able to read and react and diagnose plays so quickly um, and then go make the play. Like that's what I would like to see for like next steps out of Kyle Miller and Will Honus because I think they both have the athleticism to be able to do it. Is whether or not that they can continue to be in that film room to really be able to understand what opposing offenses are doing to them. Um, and then those guys behind them, I'm excited to see how those guys develop. You know, Luke Reimer, who just went on scholarship. Um, Nick Henrich, if he can, you know, stay healthy, I think will be a really nice player for them as well. We talked about Va a little bit. Um, and they've got a couple other guys in the mix uh, down there too. Zach Schlager, Garrett Snodgrass, those types of guys. I think the depth on the inside is just a lot deeper right now. There's a lot more guys to be excited about um, because those outside guys have just struggled so much, but they've got to get to a point where the outside guys are not a net negative for you anymore to where they are at least holding their own and they're giving you some type of production because it's just hard to win in this defensive scheme without having better play at the outside linebacker spot. So Will Honus quietly had a, a good, a better year last year and, and Barrett Root has talked about it a ton. Like when you have an ACL injury like that, it takes, it takes, you're cleared, you're able to get back on the field, but then it just takes a little bit more time for you to start feeling comfortable. So maybe some of the closing speed that you guys talked about seeing on his Juco film, maybe that will start to come back as he starts to feel comfortable on that knee. Maybe this year will be um, a year for him where he can start to look like the guy that that people thought he was, he was going to be when he came in. Um, Colin Miller, of the three of the dudes that played it inside backer last year, he was probably their best in pass coverage. Um, Luke Reimer, Rude talked about it a ton on Tuesday. Is He said he's one of the most athletic guys on the team, not just on the defense, but on the team. That would stand to bode well for them, um, putting him in, in, in pass coverage situations. Nick Henrich is a guy that I think like people maybe forget like how highly regarded he was as a recruit. Maybe it's because of injuries maybe it's because he was an Omaha guy and people just don't expect those guys to be that highly regarded or I don't know what it is but um they've got they've got options at inside backer and and Jay you kind of talked about this like teams found the inside linebacker and pass coverage last year and they picked on Nebraska whether it be crossing routes over the middle whether it be in man coverage they found inside backers and they targeted inside backers and pass coverage um, and Nebraska wasn't good enough there a year ago. And that's certainly a storyline that I will be watching. Um, I kind of told you guys before we before we started podcasting, this was going to be fairly structured. We're going to have the same question, same group of questions for each of the three um, sections of the defense. So from a storyline standpoint, is pass coverage something you're watching? Is Luke Reimer a guy that you're watching as a, a, a maybe a, an undervalued or a not so obvious storyline? Or is it something else with the linebackers? Oh. Uh, for for me, I don't mean to cut you off, Greg. I think it's going to just be who who steps up and is the true bell cow and leader. You know, Colin Miller and, and Honus are the older senior guys. You know, can they fend off the young guys? Or is it going to be a young guy that you're going to be like, you know what, he's got a bright future. I think that's going to, what's going to be it. I mean, I think they all are kind of in the same, you know, boat as far as helping out on third down. But, you know, you can't get to third down if you're just getting gas in the run game. So I think – you know, whoever steps up and comes out of camp or, you know, obviously comes out of that first, I think in the th- first two or three games, you're going to know. You're going to know because you're, 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 there's no fair dodging against the Ohio, Ohio State. you got, got something to prove, and so does Wisconsin. Everybody's telling Wisconsin they're not any going to be good without Jonathan Taylor. They always have a running back, and they're going to test Nebraska, even though we've always played them tough. Uh, it's going to be something uh, to be seen, just who can really step up and really take hold of that inside linebacker room. Real quick, Greg, I don't mean to cut you off again. We're going to go two for two on cutting you off. But, Jay, I have a question for you because Mo Berry last year was a captain. Um, he, If you talk to him, he'll he'll tell you he didn't have the season that he wanted to have on the field last year. But he was, by most accounts, like the defense's emotional leader. Is there? Do you place stock sure. in, in that um, attribute or that quality, it, do you think that that's something that Nebraska is going to have to try to find a way to replace? Like you talk about a guy stepping up and being a leader. Like, do you think that that's going to be something that they're going to be like, we, this is something we have to replace. We have to find the new like heart and soul of a defense that Mo was. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, one thing is like, you know, you can only be, 
I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this with the, the nicest as possible. Nobody's listening to you if you, if you ain't if you're not putting in the work. You know what I'm saying? It becomes on deaf ears. So I think that that won't be hard to replace because what's gonna you need substance. Here, here's a good analogy, right? You can always talk about the you know everybody's like oh the you know carrot cake has you know the icing. How much icing you like? But if you don't have the right mix of carrot raisins or however you like your carrot cake, there's nothing to it. You gotta have more substance before you have the the spice to it. So I don't think it'll be hard uh, to replace. Um, it, it, what I think it'll be interesting is who steps up and is that type of leader. Uh, and it'll come after, um, you know, they start to produce, you know, these guys right now and that inside linebacker, they're all in survival mode. They're all looking at each other and say, did I, you know, did so-and-so beat me out yesterday? Am I still starting? Once they kind of get in and establish themselves, uh, I think that uh, the rest will take care of it, you know, itself like it always does. Had a carrot cake reference there. I never would have expected that. Greg, storyline for you. We started to stumble into where I was going, um, but it's how much, and it's going to be hard to kind of quantify this, but how much do those new guys pushing Honus and Miller to sharpen up and to make sure that they're always on their A game, how much does that make those guys better? So, like, will because I because you could get into a situation where it, you have two returning kind of senior starters or at least platoon guys in Honus and Miller, and they could be complacent, right? And it doesn't feel like, at least for the first little bit of us talking to them through fall camp, it doesn't feel like that's the case. So, like, what will be kind of the net effect of that? Um, and then which, and then who's going to be uh, of that inside group in particular, like who's going to be the consistent guy that we know, okay, when, when you turn on a Nebraska game, Will Honus is going to have eight tackles today at least, right? We know he's going to be all over the place. Or Colin Miller is going to have a couple of tackles for loss. Like we know what we're getting. Like there need to be like, and this kind of goes for the whole defense, but I think the, this linebacker group, especially inside has the ability to do this. We need to start to know, what you can count on on a week-to-week basis so you can start to build out from there. Okay, we've talked a lot about inside backers, so let's limit the conversation for this next question to just the outside linebackers. Who's the most important player for Nebraska at the outside linebacker position this season? And this can be most important in the sense that he has to be better than what he has been most important in the sense that they need him to be what he has been most important in the sense that he has to stay healthy through an entire season. Uh, Jay, let's start with you. Uh, I'm going to say I'll answer them both pretty quick. The most important is Caleb Tanner because it's a make or break. If he doesn't play well this year, he needs, he's going to be in the transfer pro. I, I would be, that's what I would be telling him. Maybe I'm too too hardcore, but that's it, dude. This is it. You know what I mean? Um, and he's very important because he's shown flashes to be, uh, you know, live up to his potential, but we haven't seen it on a consistent level. And I think with him, it's just more, it's all, the, you know, that six inches, you know, that brain up there, and it's in his head. If he can stay focused and really, you know, put all of his energy, thoughts, and everything into football, it's not a physical thing for him. It's a mental thing. Um, the other one, is Jojo Doman, if he can stay healthy, you know, he's shown flashes to make some good plays, right? And kind of, and he makes good, good plays and consistent plays in bunches. He's a, he's a guy that once he makes one, you know, he, that, that lets him, you know, he kind of gets into the game and starts making more. Now, how he's more important is he's been obviously fighting a little bit of an injury bug, and it's not big ones. I think he's kind of recovered from that. Because you got to think last year, remember, he came in the, the camp and he got in the doghouse because he was rehabbing back home. Then he kind of took over his spot, and, he, and they kind of brought him along slowly. Uh, those are just knick-knack injuries, you know, coming, you know, lower extremity injuries. So we need to keep him healthy because uh, his playmaking ability offsets uh, some of the younger guys, and obviously waiting on Caleb Tanner to, uh, you know, come to fruition and reaching his potential. Greg, what about for you? Oh, it's it's easily Caleb Tanner. I think that the the I think. It, uh, on the entire defense for me, if the light comes on for Caleb Tanner, then that completely changes the defense. Or if, like, Caleb Tanner is the guy that they thought that they were getting when they recruited him and went down to Georgia to get him, um, then it changes everything because he, in theory, can then be the exact kind of hybrid player that they are always searching for. 
um, that can get after the quarterback on third down situations, but can also hold up in the run. And then that'll, if you can have two kind of dynamic ish players out there with, because you know what Joe, you know that Jojo is going to make those splash plays. It's about smoothing things out with him and making sure that he's consistently playing within the defense, make sure he's consistently where he's supposed to be. But even with that, he's still going to make those splash plays. If you can have another guy that can make those types of plays and Caleb Tanner, um, and that can put the offense, help put the offense in some bad situations, like help to get them in third and longs or help to, you know, get those third down sacks to get get them off the field to get the offense back out there. Um, it would just be a huge deal overall for this team. One guy that I'm kind of surprised we haven't, I think he's been name dropped, but not really extensively talked about. And I'd like to know where you guys are at with him. Nico Cooper. Uh, 6'5", 220, junior college edition. He looks like a dude. Like, he he physically looks the part. Where are you guys at with him? Uh, he's definitely on the all-get-off-the-bus team, but I feel like he's <laughs> – I feel like the reason that you – people are a little bit hesitant to go there with him is because we've seen these guys at Nebraska before, right, where, like, hey, I'll go there right away. Alex Davis was like this, where he looked great coming off of the bus, but you gotta, you gotta give me something. So I think that people are just going to wait to see, to see something from him or get some more camp reports on what's going on. But I'm excited to see what happens with him because you're right. He definitely looks the part. That feels rude to just like before he's even played a game, just compare him to Alex Davis. Cause I know how you feel about Alex Davis. That feels rude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think Alex Davis, if for a kid that didn't play a lot of high school football to have three coaches, it, it, you didn't really get to see what he could he could be. Um, I, that's what I think. I don't think you take a six six guy and have him try to drop in the coverage. Now we got the six five guy. You talk about Nuko Cooper, but there's even one uh, before. You know, I'm gonna say, you know, where's Blaze Gunnerson? What is he doing? You know, what yes. I mean, I mean, you gotta, you, I mean, you gotta oh, think. Yeah. That's my you, guy. You, you're, yeah, okay, that's your guy, but you got you got to find him. though. we're looking for where's Waldo now. We we they, we got an APB out on him because when he came in, you got to think when he came in to those camps, you were thinking that was the guy. Remember how you know he he went? I think it was a Friday Night Lights or whatever it kind of was, and he turned some heads. So you know, it's one of those things that you know it's it, it's put up or shut up time. And there's a lot of guys like that. I mean, that look good getting off the bus, you know, they're six, five and, and all that, but you know, you got to play. And so it's, uh, I think Nico Cooper could be there. I think he's a guy that's, uh, you know, fleet of foot. I mean, you know, he, and I know he's down on the depth chart and they don't talk about him much. You think about a David Austin, that was a stupid good athlete coming from Minnesota. Um, can they get something out of him? You can't just solely focus on, these new guys, you got to be able to mix and match guys. You know, I'm a big believer that Nick Heinrich, his build isn't for inside linebacker. If I was the coach and if, if I had a suggestion, I'm going to try him at outside linebacker because his splash plays in high school was more kind of outside linebacker plays, right? Straight, straight line type of guy. And it will lessen his injury proneness, uh, you know, in the future. So you don't want to be dependent on, you know, and I love Damian Jackson, you know, you know, he's obviously in my wheelhouse as far as age, but you don't, you don't want to depend on him to be the first guy off the bench. You want some of these guys to come to fruition, give you some uh, production. You never know about a Jamari Butler, another six, five guy they get off the Damian bus. Graham is another guy like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, my mom used to always, my mom's from Mississippi. She used to, she used to always tell me when we, when, you know, we go against some, or I would go against some linemen playing against from Alabama, like those, those brothers down there eat, eat, eat pinto beans. They country strong. So hopefully Jamari Butler turns into something like that. Uh, but I think New, Nico Cooper is the guy just because he came from a great JUCO program. So he's a little bit more ahead than, say, a high school guy uh, trying to make it. And if he can – if he's a guy by that fourth or fifth game and you're thinking, hey, there's no difference between number 32 and two – Number 32 is riding out the rest of the season, and that's just the way it is, and that's just the way uh, some guys have put themselves in position right now and where hopefully Nico Cooper and company put themselves in position uh, moving forward. But I want to say something quick before you jump in, Derek, is that it's interesting, though, that we just ran through 
Jamari Butler, Nico Cooper, Jamin Graham, Blaze Gunnerson. That's four guys mix in there. Henrich, maybe, you know, bouncing around a position. And I think he is trying out some outside linebacker, but they don't know how that's going to go. Um, those four aforementioned guys, though, those aren't guys that are expected necessarily or counted on to be frontline guys. My whole thing is, is getting yourself into options, right? And to where you only need, say, one of those four guys to make some steps forward. And that's the thing about kind of stockpiling via recruiting is that if you can continue getting these guys in the program and you continue to try to build them up, at some point, somebody's got to hit, right? It's just a law of averages. Somebody, like, not everyone can just wash out of the program or not be complete non-contributors unless your evaluation skills are not as good as we think they are. I think that they're in a nice position moving forward if they can, but they have to get better production in the meantime. It can't continue to be, oh, well, next year, you know, Caleb will take a step forward and then Blaze Gunnarsson will be ready and wait till you see Jamari Butler. Like they've got to start to bridge that gap in the meantime. Well, so this is actually where I was going to go next, Greg. Was Nebraska, like where it's at right now with its rebuild under Frost, it's kind of, it kind of like has to be both right like it like I think ideally they want to be more of like Wisconsin at least in their front seven on the offensive line in the way that Wisconsin has dudes who sit and develop for two or three years and then as a a true junior or a fourth year junior comes in and starts for the first time and then they just keep you know recycling that player every two years and the guy is physically ready to handle things but also at the same time like because they haven't gotten anything from Caleb Tanner like we talk about Blaze Gunnarsson who's a true freshman and say can you get something from him or you talk about like Feldarius Payne moving from the defensive line to, to taking some snaps at outside linebacker you talk about true freshman Jabari Butler like can you get something from him like Garrett Nelson played last year as a true freshman he'll be a, a true sophomore this year can you get something from him so like they're like in this weird spot where they would like to be in a place where they don't have to rely on those first and second year players. Those guys can develop and be in Zach Duvall's lab for, for two or three years before they're really kind of called upon on the field. But they also don't really have that luxury right now where they can wait because as we've, we've kind of talked about it, it, they haven't gotten much from the older guys, like whether it was Alex Davis before for, for the reasons that we've talked about and, or whether it's Caleb Tanner now, like, do you see that starting to change this year? Do you see them continuing to be a defense that's going to say, well, look, like we're not getting it from this third year guy, like blaze. What can you do? Jamari, what can you do? Garrett Nelson, we need you to play um, a lot of snaps for us because we just don't have anything else. Like which, which do you think it'll start to turn this year? And this question is for either of you guys. Uh, I think that it will start to turn, but I think that that's, I think they're hedging their bet by having guys like Nico Cooper and Feldarius Payne um, come into the program. The same to an extent with, with Va Clements as well is that, Listen, if if Garrett Nelson or Caleb Tanner like are not ready to go, then hey, that's why we have a more seasoned guy, a guy that's a little bit more developed than Nico Cooper, who can then bridge the gap until you can get to say a Jamin Graham, who's been in the program longer than say Nico Cooper. Um, but I do think I, I think that your assessment is really correct about they do want to be able to, in theory put a guy like Jamin Graham, who was a little bit more raw, but had the physical tools sticking with Zach Duvall for a couple of years. And then, you know, next year, 21, we're looking up and you're like, Whoa, where'd that guy come from? Or the next year after that, you're like, Oh, okay. That's why they wanted Jamari Butler. And look what he's done and developing his body and getting better with Mike Dawson. Like, I think that is, and I think that that's the more sustainable long-term way for Nebraska to be able to handle this because they're not Clemson they're not Ohio state or Alabama, where they're just going to roll through elite athletes after elite athlete um, picking them up in recruiting. Um, but it's how do you bridge the gap in the meantime and still find a way to win ball games? Let's move on to the defensive backs. And I think that this conversation will probably be a little bit more, uh, not that the, the past two haven't been positive, but this one, um, I think we can all be in agreement that the, the defensive backs, the secondary for Nebraska is going to be a real strength of the defense and maybe a strength of the team. Um, let's let's just start with, is there an area 
here with Nebraska's secondary that needs improvement over last year? Jay? Uh, I would, if and this is being nitpicky, I would say maybe the safety position, but I think injury injuries really hurt um, that, you know, when you got, you take, you know, you, you, you take your best overall, I think, defensive player, Kayla Tanner Brent, or, you know, and uh, move them all over and don't let them find a home. Uh, I think it's, it hurts your defense because you lessen his playmaking ability. Yes, it was good experience for him, but you never let him fully get kind of comfortable in his position. So I would say maybe the, the, the safety position, but that's hard to say because you're, you're, I'm going to be on go not go out on a limb, but I'm going to assume uh, Cam Taylor Britt, sorry, um, is going to find a home. I like Boodle uh, just because I think he kind of, you know, established himself as a corner, a top flight corner. And I think the big kind of like wild card is, is Deontay Williams. Cause the reason why I think he brings a physicality to that defense and a steady steadiness to him. It was just kind of a fluke injury. So if you can get him to play all season, I think he settles all the questions just like in, in a, you know, in a snap of a finger. And then you throw in dismuke, you throw in some of the younger guys. The only thing that I could think that could maybe be a question mark is I, I think that they were, were hoping that, you know, with Braxton Clark to continue to improve, uh, you know, I think his, his injury is going to keep him out the whole season. Uh, so that's a big hole to fix because when you think you, you think of the corner, right, you got a six, four corner in Braxton Clark. And then your other corner, obviously short by no means is five ten. You got, you got the ability to match up with big receivers, say like Ohio state. And you got the ability that a guy that's a true competitor to, you know, play against bigger receivers, but then also match up with the kind of little water bug type guys in, in DiCaprio Boodle. So when you think of, you know, Cam Taylor Britt, he can come down in the box. He can play a slot corner. Uh, he can play even nickel linebacker. He can play strong safety. He can play free safety. But all that is dependent upon Deontay Williams being healthy, throw in dismuke. And now you almost have, instead of two safeties, you have three legitimate safeties. And then you have an extra out, outside linebacker, a true nickel, you know, slot guy that can make plays along with two corners. Um, obviously you need somebody to step in there for Braxton Clark, but I think uh, overall it's a pretty promising group. Um, and they, they have a lot of depth too with the, the, the ability, they, their ability to recruit, uh, to Travis Fisher's eye, what he likes. Uh, obviously, you know, Florida's been, played a big part, but they've, they've gotten guys. When you think even Miles Farmer, you know, I'm just talking about just guys that, you know, have shown, you know, or not shown that are just come in with some good, uh, you know, obviously accolades and stuff like that. You think of young guys that have came in. Uh, you think even like if somebody, Noah, Noah, Noah Gates, you know, a true hitter from, you know, Arizona, where, where does he fit in? Does he try to come in and, and be like a quasi Cam Taylor Britt? That gives you another safety option, third down option, blitzing option, because you know he's kind of, you know, like a, a you know, running and hit type of guy get some mileage out of him and you're giving him uh, experience. So I think it's an overall, it, it's probably even with the the injury to Braxton Clark, I think it's probably when I'm thinking about this offhand, it's probably the strongest position group that we have from production, depth, potential, and the overall group itself. I think it's the, it's the best position group on the team on paper going into the season. Greg, would you agree? Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think that it's a, it's a versatile group as well. I like that all of the different mixing and matching um, that you can do with this group. And I don't know what the what I would say for them to be like the biggest thing. I guess this would be something that you could say about the whole t- the whole defense, but just tackling. Um, better would be the thing. Um, but I also, I do think having a healthy Deontay Williams back and then having, and I think that Markel Dismuke was a little nicked up last year as well, having him be healthy and ready to roll. Um, I think that's a really nice safety pairing. And I think that we talked a lot about kind of on the front seven, like Nebraska needed to have known commodities. Like you have that in the defensive backfield with the Caprio Boodle, like, you know, that he's going to be a solid cornerback for you. Right. And even with that, he can still get better. Um, it's kind of like with the running joke with being able to pick off passes um, instead of just having the PBUs. Right. And so, and then you have Quentin Newsom guy that, that's coming along too. that got used this time to be able to come back from his injury as well. I think that Cam Taylor, 
Taylor Britt is their best overall defensive player. Like it's a, it's a group that there is a lot to like. And I think that you trust, I think that Travis Fisher has really earned a lot of trust in his evaluation and his ability to coach, because I think that even losing Braxton Clark, if they've got to get Ronald Delancey ready um, to go out there, I think that you have, faith that if he has to come in in like a dime situation um, that he would be able to get out there and give them at least quality snaps. Um, So I I like this group a lot. What's funny is this is one of the few uh, position groups on the team that has, like you guys have said, known commodities across the board. Like I think we can pretty much pencil in who the four starters are going to be at corner and safety and maybe even use pen if you wanted to. Um, But they have that, but they also have depth and they have dudes behind those four guys that they're really high on. One guy that hasn't been mentioned is Nadab Joseph. So let's just like run. They've got Quentin Newsom. Braxton Clark is down. Um, he was a guy that they were high on. Now he probably not going to be able to play this season. They've got Ronald Delancey the third, who's been like heavily featured in some of the the promotional stuff that they've shared on social media. Um, Javin Wright, who just had surgery, not really sure what that is. Um, Nadab Joseph, who comes in. You've got Miles Farmer, Noah Pola Gates at safety. Of of those those guys, the non starter guys, who is most intriguing to you, Jay? Uh, I would say. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, all of them. I mean, that's the easy. I would probably, if I had to say off the top of my head, I would say Joseph or, or farmer, just because of the potential there, obviously to come in and, and, and I'm thinking, you know, not only 2020, I'm thinking 21, 22, I'm thinking height. I'm thinking, you know, a corner and a safety. Uh, I mean, when you got to, you know, just think of farmer, right? Six, three, two Oh five. You'd like to think in two years he's going to be 215, 220. And when that guy runs out on the field, you're thinking if he can run and move a little bit, that's the guy you might see on Sundays. These, these, are, these are body types that Nebraska hasn't seen or had in a long time. And they think of Joseph coming from, you know, Independence, you know, obviously junior college from Florida, 6'2", 190. That's the perfect size of a corner. Uh, you're assuming that he's from Florida, he can really run really well. Uh, if you want to throw in Delancey, I would say so, but he's a little bit slight, you know, he's a little bit light in the pants. If he's listed at 160, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised that he's, you know, he's dipped down in 145, 150. So I think he, he's a couple, just physically, just physically being able to play. Big, the Big Ten is a grown man's league on, at, you know, outside, inside, when you play corner. Um, so he would probably those three, but he would, Delancey would be the wild card, even though um, I think he has pretty good cover skills. You know, I would actually, it's funny, we have spent all off season, it feels like, or, or since March when Travis Fisher called Miles Farmer one of the best athletes on the team or one of the top guys on the team. I forget which exact thing. We spent so much time talking about him that I've now kind of, in my mind, made it to where, okay, he's going to have some sort of role, so he's not as intriguing to me. I think Noah Polo Gates is the guy for me that I can't wait to see what they do with him because if that guy is healthy, um, he was the most heavily recruited of all of those defensive backs in that group, right, that was that included because he was in the same class with Quentin Newsom and with Miles Farmer. Um, it was a great group that they brought in um, that year. But, like, he's a guy that will strike you. Um, we saw him do it to Wondell Robinson in that Army All-American game, right? Um, and so if he can find his way onto the field and can find a role, uh, that will be really interesting. I Instead of asking you for storylines that, that you think are undervalued or underrated or overlooked, I'm, I have a storyline for each of you that I would like to – get your your thoughts on jay i'm going to start with you and i'm going to give you something that i've written about i've talked about on the podcast before um greg knows where i'm going i think would you pull off a linebacker to put an extra defensive back on the field more often because you felt better about where you're at from a defensive back standpoint than you do about where you're at from a linebacker standpoint uh, you're talking about purely coverage. Uh, when I was playing, no. But uh, for these guys, I would uh, just because I, in, in, I'm just looking at right now. I just probably like, I think there's only one linebacker I think I would trust in, in coverage. Um, uh, you know, and 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 it kind of depends on the team. You know, 
I think you could move Jojo Doman behind the line of scrimmage and keep Colin Millen in there, Colin Colin Miller in there, have three defensive linemen and make some hay in your blitz package. And you're you're bringing in an extra DB and taking out a linebacker. Um, I think you could do it in nickel uh, with with Cam Taylor Britt. I think you could line him up as a you know weak side on the on the backside of a you know four four two looking nickel and be fine. It helps you, you know, one-on-one with running backs. If you go back to Ohio State game, the spy technique, you know, with, with Fields, obviously he, you know, made our linebackers look not the best on national TV. I think Cam Taylor Britt would be excellent in that role, you know, whether it's Noah Pola Gates or somebody like that as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I think it has to be the right situation. You don't want to go against a team like, say, like Michigan pulling DBs off and they're running down your face like the first time Nebraska went up there. So, um you just got to be smart with it and kind of, uh, but they have the depth to do that. They could look at you always hear coaches wanting to be multiple. They got the personnel and the, and the depth to do it. Sure. Certainly. Um, Greg, different question for you. If the defensive backs, if some of these younger guys hit, if say like miles farmer has a big year or Noel Pola Gates has a big year or like this team, the, this secondary is as good on the field as it looks like it can be on paper is Nebraska in danger of losing Travis Fisher this offseason? We've already seen a team come in and try to try to pluck him from the coaching staff with Ole Miss this past offseason. Is Nebraska in danger of losing Travis Fisher this offseason if things go according to plan with the secondary? Yes, but I would not like sound the alarm bells. I say yes because I think that they're always going to be in danger of that um, because he is probably their, what, their best defensive coach for sure. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's always going to be lurking out there, especially if you're looking at, you know, any of those Florida schools, because with the way that he recruits Florida um, or even, you know, a Southeast school, it would be really attractive because it, it, you're, you're just closer to the groceries, right, that he's trying to shop for. Um, yeah. So I think that they're always going to be kind of on the lookout for, for potential suitors for Travis Fisher. But at the same time, that's a good thing because that means that something good is happening for Nebraska on the field. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 not what you want, but that is what you want at the same time because it means people are respecting you and valuing what you're doing. Um, you guys both got to go. Uh, Jay, you've got stuff to do. Greg, I'm sure you've got stuff to work on. Um, so I will, I'll, I'll let you get to the rest of your day. Thank you guys both for, for coming on and, and previewing the defense and, and talking football. Uh, appreciate you having us and obviously pumping our podcast and stuff like that. So anytime, man. Thank you, man. Subscribe to Greg and Jay's podcast. New ones come out every Tuesday. You can listen to the first episode. It was really good. Of course. I mean, obviously, it was really good. You just heard the conversation that the two of them had on here. Keep reading HailVarsity.com. We're going to have content pretty much around the clock now that we have some scheduled availability. We've got football coming soon. There's volleyball stuff that Jacob Padilla is writing about. Basketball is doing stuff. So you can get your fix no matter what you like at HailVarsity.com. Subscribe to all of the podcast offerings that we have. I'm not going to run through every single one of them because it would take five minutes. And keep listening to Chris Schmidt on the radio, the Hale Varsity Radio Show. So much content for you to consume. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Thanks, everyone.